Reader's Digest presents Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man, Punchy? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry mat. Sam Slade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys! 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 Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including showbiz news, classic radio shows, movie reviews, trivia contests, and celebrity interviews. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present a classic radio Christmas police story on Dragnet, starring Jack Webb. But first, let's enjoy a Dragnet parody by my good pal, Stan Freeberg, that I know you'll enjoy, called Christmas Dragnet, originally released by Capitol Records on November 30th, 1953. This is the season... My name is Wednesday. My partner is Frank Jones, the chief is Captain Kellogg. December the 24th, Christmas Eve. They brought in a guy named Grudge. When I heard what they booked him on, my blood ran cold. It was a 409-6325-096704. Not believing in Santa Claus. 4.35 p.m. I was working the holiday watch at a homicide with Frank. Hang up your stock on yet, Joe? Yeah, just before I come down. You too, Frank? Always do. Hung it up early just in case I have to work late tonight. Wouldn't want to miss out when Santa Claus comes, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure wouldn't. Be a shame. What you gonna do tomorrow, Joe? What you gonna do on Christmas? You got any plans? Nothing much. Why don't you come by the house, Joe? We're gonna have Christmas dinner. You know, all the trimmings. Mm-hmm. Turkey, celery stuffing, oysters maybe, chestnuts. Mm-hmm. All the trimmings. Cranberry sauce. Love to have you. Mm-hmm. The missus always fixes a plate of relish with them little carrot sticks. You know, olives, pickles, scallions. Most folks call them green onions, but they're really scallions. Did you ever notice that, Joe? Ever notice what, Frank? How most folks call them green onions, but they're really scallions. Mm-hmm. Scallions. Anytime after two, Joe. Love to have you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll see. Love to have you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll see. The missus always fixes a plate of relish with them carrot sticks. You know them little carrot sticks? Mm-hmm. Olives, pickles, scallions. Mm-hmm. Let's not go through that again. Love to have you. Go through what again, Joe? How most folks call them green onions, but they're really scallions. Oh. You noticed that too, huh, Joe? Homicide Wednesday. Mm-hmm. 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 What's the matter, Joe? What's the matter, Joe? Bringing a guy in on a 409 You you mean? Yeah. Guy don't believe in scallions. I mean Santa Claus. Six twenty-nine PM. We questioned the guy who didn't believe in Santa Claus, a guy named Grudge. Says here your name's Grudge, is that right? Yeah. You said you didn't believe in Santa Claus? It's hard to believe what you said. Did you really say that? Sure I said it. How do you know there's a Santa Claus? You got a picture of him? No, no mugshot. Any fingerprints? Mm-mm, no latent prints. I just know that's all. It's like saying there isn't any Easter bunny. That's another guy there ain't no of. Mm-hmm. Well, that's your story, mister. Joe, he just said that to make me feel bad, didn't he? There really is an Easter bunny, isn't there, Joe? Listen, Grudge, didn't I pick you up three years ago on a 1492 for not believing in Columbus? Yeah. I don't believe in Cleveland or Cincinnati either. How about Toledo? I, uh, I ain't made up my mind yet about Toledo. Okay, mister, I get the picture now. You don't believe in nothing, do you? Nothing. And you want to know something else? What's that? 
I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk right out of this room. Because you guys ain't got nothing on me. There ain't no law against not believing in Santa Claus. There is in my book. Let me tell you something, mister. I'm going to prove there's a Santa Claus if it takes me all night. Yeah, pretty funny. The police department's got nothing else to do. Let me straighten you out, buddy. This one's on Frank and me. Right, Frank? Right, Frank? There really is an Easter Bunny, isn't there, Joe? You know, hippity-hopping down the bunny trail? I took Grudge over to the helicopter, got in, flew around the city for hours. I showed him department stores. What's hurrying in and out of those department stores, Grudge? Happy people! But I ain't impressed! I showed him stockings. How are those stockings hung, Grudge? By the chimney with care. But I didn't hang none up. I showed him children nestled all snug in their beds. What's dancing in their heads, Grudge? Visions of sugar plums. But you ain't selling me. There ain't no Santa Claus. He still didn't believe. There was only one thing left to do. My job, get to the North Pole. 11.45 p.m., we arrived at the North Pole. I set the plane down. We walked over to Sandy's workshop, rang the bell. Pardon me, sir. Can I ask you a few questions? Why, sure. Just tickle me to death. What do you do for a living? I'm a brownie. What are you doing at the North Pole with a southern accent? Well, the boss sort of ran short on help this year, so he had to recruit a few of us brownies from the South Pole. Mm-hmm. That figures. <laughs> what a waste of time. Could we talk to your boss, please? Oh, he's out. You would come on the one night he's out in the whole year. Mm-hmm. What's your particular job, Mr. Brownie? My boss has eight tiny reindeer. My job? Feed them. Mm-hmm, yes, sir. What do you feed him? Well, most times I fix up a little plate of relish. Olives, pickles, and them carrot sticks. You know them little old carrot sticks? Mm-hmm. And scallions. Most, most folks, folks call them green, green onions, onions, but they're, they're really scallions. scallions. How do you know? Just a stab in the dark. The little man showed us through the workshop. My boss will be back for a second load pretty soon. Say, would you all like to hear an interesting story? Yes, sir. Will you see that huge pile of presents over there? Mm-hmm. Man, look at all that stuff. Would you believe it? They're all for the same man. Been piling up here year after year. Why didn't the guy ever get them? Yeah, why? Because he didn't believe in my boss. You know the rules. Mm-hmm, we know. I uh, don't suppose there's no chance that this, this guy can still... Get the presents? Oh, sure. He gets them all. The minute he believes... But I don't suppose he ever will. Too bad about that guy. What's his name? Don't say it. I don't want to hear it. Come on, Mr. Brownie. What's his name? His name? Grudge. The Brownie saw us to the door. Wished us a Merry Christmas. We were heading back to the plane when it happened. Hey! Yeah, Grudge? You know that guy I said I didn't believe in? Who's that? S -S Santa Claus? Yes, sir. You think I'm too old to change my mind? You're never too old, Mr. Grudge. Well, then I... I... I believe in Santa Claus and Columbus. How about Cleveland, Cincinnati, and the Easter Bunny? Yeah, them too. And Toledo? I, I still ain't made up my mind yet about Toledo. Look, Grudge, up in the sky. He's coming back for the second load. It's Santa Claus! It's Santa Claus! There's the only guy I know can make everybody happy in one night. Yeah. He must have the biggest heart in the whole world. That's about the size of it.
What'd you think of that, Lisa Wolf? Well, if I could hear the whole thing, I would have enjoyed it a lot. You were the one lot. talking the whole time. You talk a lot. I was trying Patrick. to enjoy that, and you're like talking. I, you're still talking. Gosh. <laughs> Gosh. You're just a motor mouth of a talker. Yeah, yeah. I can't Right? What? I told you one day I'm going to develop an app where it counts. An app? Counts, yeah. Where it counts the number of words you say each day. They have one of those already. No, they don't. It's my yeah. idea. Really? Yeah. Oh, gonna, you just gave away an I idea. I know, but if you Multi-billion guys, if somebody dollar knows idea. how to make this happen, I'll work with you on this. Right. Lisa right. will, you know, take half the money. That's right. Right. Lisa will work with you. She'll take half the. the I have uh, lots of great ideas. Yes. Yes. You do. You, you have a lot of you, words. You each have a day. great ideal. I have great ideals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we're coming back after the uh, at the break with Dragnet starring Jack Webb. Sound good? Uh, it sounds great. All right, we'll be right back. Are you a fan of classic radio shows like Abbott and Costello? What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, the- Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, Lisa, Dragnet, you've heard of that show? Um, just once or twice. And that music is, is famous and dum, iconic. Dum, dum, right? Right. Uh, that was a good rendition. Pretty Can you good, do the rest huh? of it, too? No. Just did you the know first that? Half? Did you know that Dragnet was perhaps. The most famous and influential police procedural drama of all time? Perhaps, yes. Perhaps. I'm not saying 100%. Think perhaps. It's arguable. That gives Carl. me some wiggle room there. It dramatized cases of a dedicated LA police detective, Sergeant Joe Friday, and his partners. Actor and producer Jack Webb took Dragnet to new highs and insisted on realism in every facet of the show. And uh, it was just it was like just a great series. It was not only on the radio a long time, but it made the transition to television. Probably people remember it from television even more than radio. Definitely. Yeah, because it was like on in black and white. Then it was on in color. They made movies. Then later uh, there was a um, Tom Hanks and and uh, Dan Aykroyd made a film about it. It was a parody. It was a comedy, dragnet comedy, but. This is the best of the best of the best dragnet. This is like a famous Christmas story. Very heartwarming. Goes back to December 22nd, 1949. It's called A 22 Caliber Rifle for Christmas, starring the great Jack Webb. Peggy Weber, our pal, Peggy Weber is in this show. This is sponsored by Fatima Cigarettes, although we've deleted the uh, cigarette commercials. Here it is, part one now of Dragnet. <laughs> The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. 
You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. A small boy is reported missing from his home. His age, nine years. Foul play is suspected. Your job, find him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, December 22nd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way into work, and it was 3.55 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Joe. Ben, what's doing? Oh, pretty quiet. How's your mother? Well, that cold's still hanging on. Bad cough. Doc says nothing serious. My kid's got the same thing. Must be some kind of a virus going around. Yeah. Is that a new suit you got on? Oh, yeah. Ma figured I needed one. Let me see. Oh, yeah, that's a nice shade of blue. Where'd you get it? Quincy's down in South Fig. Look okay? Turn around. Right. Oh, yeah, that's a good fit. Uh, did you get all the reports on the Webster case yet? Yeah, all taken care of. Let me get it. Homicide, Friday. Well, this is Levinson, Unit 113J. Got something for you. Yeah, Harry, what's doing? Doherty and I are out here on Collis Avenue, 4656. Trying to track down a nine-year-old boy. What's the story? Kid's missing. Suspicion of foul play. How long has he been gone? About two hours. Looks like a job for homicide. How do you figure? Kid was last seen playing in the backyard of his home. Yeah? We checked over the yard. Find anything? Bloodstains. Lots of them. They look new. Ben and I left a message for Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. Then we went over to the crime lab, picked up Lieutenant Lee Jones, and drove out the Arroyo Seco Freeway to Collis Avenue. It was an average neighborhood. Number 4656 was a one-story green stucco residence situated on the corner of Collis Avenue and Harrison Drive. Beyond the backyard was a tract of undeveloped land covered with scrub oak. Harry Levinson from Highland Park Juvenile was waiting for us in front of the house. Back this way, fellas. I'm coming, Link. Wait till I get my back. Okay. Who notified you that the boy was missing, Harry? The mother. Said she went out to do some Christmas shopping about 11 this morning, left the boy home. Came back about two this afternoon. He was gone. What's the name? Johnstone. Kid's name is Stanley. Nine years old. Mm-hmm. Was this gate open like this when you got here? Oh, yeah. I haven't touched this thing. Uh, here are the stains over here, Lieutenant Jones. Uh, along the edge of the walk. See? Yeah. Let me see. Quite a few stains, huh? Looks like it might be blood. I'll tie some benzidine on these spots here. Yeah, there we are. See what happens? Where's the kid's mother now, Harry? Yeah, in the house. Doherty's talking to her. Did you talk to any of the neighbors? People next door. Uh, one's on this side. They couldn't tell us anything. There it is, fellas. Yelly. These spots are covered with benzidine. They're turning blue. Blood stains, all right. Can't say definitely whether it's human or animal blood. Mm-hmm. You have to go back to the lab to run it through. Yeah, biological precipitant test. Hand me one of those glass vials from my bag, will you? Yeah. Okay, here you are. Thanks. Scrape some of these flakes off for a test. There we are. How soon can you tap the blood for us, Lee? Precipitant tests won't run more than 20 minutes. It'll take three or four hours to run a blood grouping, though. That's it. Anything else you want to check? Levinson, anything else? Oh, uh, right here in my handkerchief. Empty shell. 
That marker over there by the rose bush, that's where I found it. Mm. From a twenty-two, huh? Yeah. Might tie in, might not. Mark it and dump it in this envelope, will you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Joe. There you go. Did you get out a missing broadcast in the boy here? Uh, Darty did about a half hour ago. Oh, here's a description here. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mother know about the bloodstains? No, we didn't tell her. She's worried enough already. And she has no idea what might have happened to her boy? No more than we do. She checked all her friends, relatives. We're covering the neighborhood. No trace so far. Not much to go on. Bloodstains, empty cartridge. Could mean a hundred things. Mm. Any ideas, Franny? Yeah, just one, and I don't like it. p.m. Thursday, December 22nd. The neighborhood search for nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone continued. Lee Jones went back to the crime lab to start the precipitant test and the blood grouping. Levinson and his partner, Doherty, from Highland Juvenile, stood by. We called Chief of Detectives Thad Brown, and he ordered up a special detail to aid in the search for the missing boy. Ben and I questioned the boy's mother, Mrs. Ruth Johnstone, a woman in her early 40s. She seemed fairly calm under the circumstances. Mrs. Johnstone, um... Is your boy standing in the habit of wandering off without telling you where he's going? No, he's not in the habit of wandering off, but he has done it before. When was the last time, Miss Johnstone? You don't have any children, do you, Sergeant Friday? No, I'm not married. Well, there comes that time in every young boy's life when he feels that it's time to leave home, to go out on his own. It usually happens somewhere around 8 to 10. I think I know what you mean. I've got a boy. Well, then you know how it is. My husband and I scolded Stanley one day after school, and he was quite put out about it. He thought George and I were unfair. Packed a few of his things and left. How long was he gone? Oh, no time at all. About two hours. I was worried about him, but my husband said to leave him alone. Said every boy had to go through that stage. Well, then you think he's run away from home again this time? Yes, I think so. He's been gone about four hours now, and I have a funny feeling about it. Did you and his father have some misunderstanding with the boy recently? Well, that's just it. We haven't. I don't mind telling you now that we're talking about it. I'm, I am getting worried. Any place around that he might like to visit? Hobby shop, playground, where he might be? Yeah, there's uh, Jensen's model shop and little Shanna Burroughs, but I've already called him and he hasn't been seen all day. I called all his friends. They have no idea where he is either. We'd like a list of all his friends and the places that he was known to frequent. Oh, yeah. All right. I'll get them to you. What do you suppose he is? Where's your husband now, Miss Johnstone? Oh, he's at work. George works for the city. He's a fireman. What house is he stationed at? Engine Company 12. He's working the A platoon. He'll be home tomorrow morning. I haven't told him that Stanley's gone. Was there any chance that the boy might be down at the firehouse with his father? No. No, he seldom goes down there anymore. No, I don't think he's there. I'm awfully worried. May I call my husband? Certainly. Go right ahead. I know George will be worried. Stanley's been gone too long. Hello? May I speak with George Johnstone? This is Mrs. Johnstone. Thank you. I hate to call George at his work. Yes, ma'am. Does your husband own a gun? Yes, he does. What caliber? Do you know? Well, it's a forty-five automatic. He got it. George? This is Ruth. George, is Stanley down there with you by any chance? Oh... No, I can't find him anywhere. He hasn't been here when I came home from my shopping. Uh, there are two policemen here. No, I said there are two policemen here. Oh, no, dear. I'll call you if we don't find him soon. All right, dear. Yes, you too. Goodbye. Well, I, 
I didn't think he'd be with George. That forty-five is that the only gun in the household? Well, yes. Why are you asking about guns? Is, has anything happened that you're not telling me about? No, ma'am. Just routine checking. We'll have to take a look at that forty-five off, if you don't mind. Maybe I should tell you. We we do have another gun in the house, but it, it's all wrapped up. George bought it for Stanley's Christmas present. May we see it, please? Well, yes. Will, will you have to unwrap it? Yes, I'm afraid so. I think I can reach it. We we had to hide it. So let me see. Here's the paper it was wrapped in. Stanley must have found it. It's gone. See, here's the gift card in the box the gun came in. The rifle. Can I look at that box, ma'am? Thank you. How about it, Jim? Twenty-two caliber. Ah, twenty-two caliber. Big cliffhanger there. There you go. Twenty-two caliber rifle there. That's the uh, twenty-two caliber rifle for Christmas, starring Jack Webb. Also in the cast, a great cast: Barton Yarborough, Herb Butterfield, William Johnstone. William Johnstone was one of the uh, few actors to play the shadow on the radio. In fact, he played the shadow after Orson Welles. So Orson Welles had it from thirty-seven and thirty-eight, then Bill Johnstone took it over in 38 till about 42 or 43 and then Brett Morrison played the role the longest and also Peggy Weber in this Hal Gibney and George Fenneman announcers remember George Fenneman Lisa you know who he was George Fenneman what was his he best known for on television he was an announcer and sort of uh someone for Groucho to banter with on you bet your life. life. Right. Oh, good right. one. There you oh, yeah, go. that was George Fenneman. Yeah, remember? Yeah. yeah. You remember that? I didn't. No? You had to help me out there. But now that you mention it, it sounds right. <laughs> All right. So this uh, this Dragnet episode is from December 22nd, 1949. We'll get back to it in just a moment. I want to remind our listeners that we have a Facebook page. Uh, at least that's what they tell me. Facebook page. You can go on Facebook. You can search Hollywood 360 Radio. And when you do, please like us. I'd love to see our likes. Let's see. Let's see if our listeners can help us. Uh, we'll check our Facebook page now. Lisa will, and then in uh, like 30 minutes, we'll check it again. Let's see how many uh, likes we can get. We'd really appreciate if you'd like our. Uh, our... And, and here's the thing: we do like to hear from you guys, yeah. and we want to hear what you like and what you don't, and what you'd like to hear. And we really do want to have that rapport. So it really helps us out and makes our show better. Absolutely, please check it out and please like us. All right, here's another uh, movie starring Samuel L. Jackson, 2012 Western action. What's the matter? Why are you so on? You miss me? Huh? Oh yes, sir. <laughs> I miss you like a like a hog miss slop. All right, like a hog miss slop. That's how much he misses him, Lisa. That's a lot All of right, missing. If you know what movie this is, give us a call right now. Toll free 855-360-H360. The H is a four. 855-360-H360. Identify that movie. Win some fun prizes. We'll be right back. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, before the break, we played this movie clip. What's the matter? Why are you so honored? You miss me? Huh? Oh, yes, sir. I miss you like a, like a whole miss flop. 2012 Western action movie. Samuel L. Jackson in the uh, movie as a supporting player. Tom in Waukegan, Illinois, says he knows it. Tom, how you doing? How you doing, Kyle? All right. Well, how are you? 
I'm doing great. All right. What do you think? Do you know this movie? Uh, yes, it's Django Unchained. It is. Uh, is the D silent or the J silent? Is it Django or is it just Django? I don't uh, know. Django. It is? Okay. I the D is silent. I might mean to... Uh, is it? I don't think so. I think really? it's Django. I could be wrong. Oh, maybe no, maybe it's right. Django. Uh, Mike Estella D's... says it's Django. I, I agree And with Tom Mike. says it's Django. And Lisa. and Lisa says it's Django. So I'm probably wrong. Usually you are. So, so you know what though, Tom? You're going to win some fun prizes, okay? Oh, thank you very much. Okay, Carl. buddy. Merry Christmas to you. Same to you. Thanks, Tom. Bye, Lisa. Hey, Tom, thanks for calling in. Tom knew it, and it's Django. Um, I just looked it up online, and the pronunciation is no D. It's pronounced Django. All right, so I was wrong. I was wrong once in 1977, and now I'm wrong here. Excellent. I love when you're wrong. Had a good run. I like it that way. Okay, so Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio. Gee, I wonder if that... Sounds Italian. I don't know. If yeah, the, that was a great Leonardo one. DiCaprio. Your accents are great. Samuel L. Jackson. Quentin Tarantino actually wrote the role of Django with Will Smith in mind. Mm-hmm. And Smith's agent and manager wanted him to accept it. But Smith ultimately decided to pass. Huh. Tarantino then offered the part to Jamie Foxx, who accepted there you go. Okay, that was a good plan. There you go. All right, let's get back now to Dragnet. Thursday, December 22nd, 5.15 p.m. It was getting dark. The search for the missing boy continued. We checked the list of Stanley Johnstone's friends. None of them or their parents had any idea of his whereabouts. We talked with Levinson again. He had been in touch with the detail combing the neighborhood. They had found nothing. We went down to Collis Avenue and 10th Street, service station on the corner. One nickel, Joe? No, I got one. You watch for that, huh? Yeah. Thank you. City Hall. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Hi, Lee. Joe Friday. Yeah, Joe. Any sign of the Johnson kid? No, not yet. How are you coming? Finished the precipitant test. It's human blood. Yeah? Working with a blood group now. Do you know what type the Johnson boy has? Well, we didn't want to upset his mother. Thought we'd wait till the last thing. We're still in the neighborhood. I check with the family physician. That way you won't disturb him. Yeah, we figured on that. Oh, just a minute, Lee. Good. Yeah, Ben. Boss just pulled up. Okay. Uh, Thad Brown's out here now. I'll check you later, Lee, huh? Good. Right, Joe. All right, goodbye. Gentlemen, how's it going? Just checked with Lee Jones. Yeah, I know. It's human blood. What do you think? We talked with the boy's mother, Miss Johnston. Found a gun missing. Yeah. Caliber's the same as the empty casing that Levinson found. Twenty-two. You said the gun was missing. Yeah, the Johnstones were going to give it to the boy as a Christmas present. They had it hidden, but it's gone now. Any idea who took it? Well, they left the Christmas wrapping behind. I think it was the kid. Twenty-two rifle, huh? Nine-year-old boy. When are they going to learn? First, it's carbide cannons on the 4th of July. The city issued ordinance after ordinance, but a few thousand kids around the country had to lose their eyes, fingers, hands before the parents gives us their full cooperation to outlaw them. I know what you mean. Sure you do. You and every other cop in the country became the heavies trying to clamp down on them. It's always the same story. This time it's guns for Christmas. I know what you're thinking, but we're not sure yet. Listen, Friday, there's a city ordinance against giving a gun to a kid. You know that. Yes, I know that. There's a missing boy and a missing gun. 
There's blood on the ground and an empty shell. That's enough for me. We're going to stay with it. Something's got to break. Yeah. I hope it's not the hearts of that kid's parents. Oh, hi, Chief. I've been looking for you, Friday. What do you got, Harry? Found the gun. New twenty-two rifle. Strong smell of cordite. I'd say it's been recently fired. Where'd you find it, Levinson? Uh, back up there in that scrub oak. Up behind the Johnston house. Mrs. Johnstone identified it. Buckley took it down to the crime lab. Thanks, Harry. Uh, is Mrs. Johnstone okay? Mm, pretty sick now. Kilby came up with something else. What's that? There's another one missing. An eight-year-old boy. 6.30 p.m. We talked with Officer Killaby about the other missing boy. He told us that his name was Stephen Morheim, eight years old. His family had just moved into the neighborhood, and it seemed that no one besides the Morheim family knew that the boys played together. Mrs. Morheim told us that Stephen told her that he was going out to play and that he'd be home by 6 o'clock for dinner. She told us that he was an unusually prompt boy and almost never overstayed his playtime. We got a description of the Morheim boy and put out a missing broadcast. We called the John Stone's family doctor. He told us that Stanley's blood was type O. At 7 p.m., we talked again with Mrs. John Morheim. Are you sure Mrs. Johnstone doesn't know where the boys are? She has no idea, Miss Morheim. It's terrible. It's just awful. I feel there's more to this thing. Something you're not telling me. Well, there's no use to upset you until we know a few things for sure. Then you are holding back something. Now, please try not to worry, Miss Morheim. There are certain questions we'll have to ask, routine questions in any kind of investigation. Is there anything else you want to know? Yes, ma'am. What is your boy's blood type? That's a funny question. Do you think anything's happened to him? Have you found him and you're not telling me? No, ma'am, we haven't found him. We don't think anything's happened to him. His blood type? Yes, ma'am. I think I have it written down in Stevie's baby book. Yes, here it is. Type O. Thank you. What if I might use your phone, please? Yes, of course. It's in the hall. I'll be right back, ma'am. Yeah, okay. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Grand Lab Pinker. Hello, Ray. This is Friday Lee. There. Uh, just a minute, Joe. Take two, Lee. Joe speaking. Checking back, Lee. Uh, did you get the blood types on the two missing boys? Yeah, both boys type O. So are the stains, Joe. Type O. 8 p.m. Thursday, December 22nd. Still no sign of either of the missing boys. Chief of Detectives Thad Brown went back to headquarters to direct the search from there. He dispatched another detail of 50 men to aid in the hunt for the missing youngsters. 8.30 p.m. was getting colder. The citrus growers were warned to expect a freeze. We went up the block to see Mrs. Johnstone. Her husband had quit work early and returned home. We talked with him. He could tell us nothing more than we already knew. We still had not informed either of the families about the blood stains and the empty cartridge casing which had been discovered in the backyard of the Johnstone home. It was more than possible that they had a right to know about our findings, but Ben and I felt that there was no cause to add the, to the distress of the two families at this time. If the two missing boys were found alive and well, then the blood stains and the cartridge case would be of no concern to the relieved parents. At 8.40 p.m., Ben and I left the Johnstone house and went to the home of Mr. and Mrs. John Morheim. Ms. Morheim, you said your husband worked at a market? Yes. He telephoned about 15 minutes ago and said he was closing up right away. He'll be here any minute. I do wish Stevie would call or come home. It's so cold out tonight. All he had on was a thin cotton jacket. Please try not to worry. We're doing everything we can. He's going to be all right. Stevie's father's such a sensitive man. 
He and the boy are so close. I know he's terribly upset. No, you're sure there's no place you might have forgotten? Some place where the boy might be? No, no place. No. Anything happened to the boy, it'll just kill you. No, no. You sit still. I'll get it, Miss Morgan. Joe. Hi, Harry. The Johnstone kid. He's been found. He's home, Sergeant. He's come home. Thank God he's all right. Well, where's he been? Did he tell you? No. No, he didn't. He, his clothes were all dirty and he's acting strange. I've never seen him like this. How do you mean, Miss Johnson? Well, he just came in the front door and said, Hello, Mom. And then he sat down in a chair and stared at the floor. He won't talk to his father or me. Do you mind if I talk to him? No, go ahead. I asked him about the little Moorheim boy and he wouldn't tell me a thing. Where is he now? In the living room. Looks all right. Yes. Son. Son, this is a police officer. He he wants to talk to you. Now, don't be afraid, dear. He only wants to ask you some questions. Son. You see, Sergeant? Stanley. Come on, look at me, son. Get your head up, youngster. Come on, now that's better. I had your mother pretty worried, you know that? You want to tell us where you've been? I wish you'd try to get him to eat a little something. You hear that, son? Want something to eat? Stanley, there's another little boy up the street who hasn't come home. Do you know where he is? His father and mother are worried about him, too. Just like your folks were. You've got to help us find him, son. I... I killed him. I killed Steve with the twenty-two. We were only playing. <laughs> but I killed him. How do you know you killed him? Maybe he's only hurt. Now, isn't that it? <laughs> no, he's dead. I know he's dead. The gun went off. We forgot we put bullets in there. Where is he, Stanley? I hid him. I was scared. I didn't want anybody to find him. Where did you hide him, son? In a cave up on the hill. I didn't mean it. It was my pal. Do you want to show us where, son? Yes, I'll show you. Please don't send me to jail. 9.15 p.m., Thursday, December 22nd. Nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone led the way up the hill behind the backyard of his home. He showed us the wagon he moved the body in. His father came along with us. About 50 feet from the crest of the hill, the boy pointed to a thicket of scrub oak. There we found a small cave holding the body of Stephen Morheim. There was a single bullet wound in his chest just below his heart. He was dead. We covered the body. Stanley. Stanley, how did it happen? I knew my folks were going to give me the gun for Christmas. I knew where it was, and I got it. There was a box of bullets with it. Were you pointing the gun at Stephen? No, sir. No, sir, I wasn't. It was Steve's turn to play with it. I was chasing him... He tripped over the stump there in our backyard and fell. The gun hit him in the stomach. And it went off. Why do you think you killed him if you're telling us the truth? I'm telling the truth, honest. That's the truth. All right, I believe you, son. But why do you think you killed him? It was my gun. Steve would still be alive if I didn't go and get it. I should have waited till Christmas. It's all my fault. 
Where have you been all this time? In the cave with Steve. What were you doing in there, son? I was praying. I was praying for God to make him alive again. After a thorough investigation, Ben and I were convinced that the shooting of Stephen Morheim was accidental. Lieutenant Lee Jones' findings substantiated the John Stone boy story even to the smallest detail. We put in a call to the coroner's office and acquainted him with the facts. He designated a local mortuary to handle the body pending autopsy and granted us permission to remove the body to the Moorheim home. Mrs. Moorheim collapsed. The family doctor was called. Ben and I sat in the living room to wait for John Moorheim, the dead boy's father. Edith! Edith! Mr. Moorheim? Yes. You the police? Yes, sir. Where's Edith? Where's my wife? Has my boy come home? Have you found him? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? St- Steve! Stevie! Where's Steve? He's hurt, isn't he? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's hurt bad, Mr. Morheim. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's in his room. How bad? Pretty bad. Mr. Morheim, I want to see my book. <laughs> Mr. Morheim. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Listen to me, son. We've got you a lot of nice things for Christmas. Everything you wanted. I, I got you the three new cars for the train. The, with the search lights. Really works. <laughs> Son, you... You got that new switch you wanted to it. It's a lot more track. <laughs> oh, Steve. No, you can have a... You know that that new baseball that you saw? Well, I got it for you. (laughs) That cowboy outfit you wanted, I got it too. Mr. Warren. Come on, Joe. What happened? It was an accident. He was playing with Johnstone Boy up the street. Playing with a gun. He went off. What was the other boy's name? Stanley Johnston. It was an accident. Mr. Morheim, where are you going? I want to see that boy. 
We had no idea what the dead boy's father had in mind. We didn't feel that we should try to restrain him. We went along with him up the street to the Johnstone home. I'm Stevie's father. Where's your boy? I'm sorry. Where's your boy? He's right here. Won't you come in? It's all right, Mrs. Johnstone. You... You're the boy that was with Stevie? Yes, sir. What's your name? Stanley. Stanley. I know it wasn't your fault, Stanley. I wonder if you'd do something for me. Yes, sir. I've got a lot of nice presents for Stevie. I know he'd want you to have them. I want to give them to you. Christmas Eve. Mom? I, I think that would be a fine idea, son. Come on, Ben. Give a kid a gun for Christmas. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 24th, 1948, a coroner's inquest was held in the county morgue, city and county of Los Angeles, state of California. the coroner's inquest, it was officially recorded that Stephen Morheim's death was the result of an accident. Stanley Johnstone, age nine, was absolved of any legal responsibility for his friend's death. You have just heard Dragnets, a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of acting chief of police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Dragnet honors Hennepin County, Minneapolis, state of Minnesota, and the men of the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office, another of America's great law enforcement agencies. One of these men, Sheriff Ed Ryan, veteran police officer and department administrator who dedicates his life to making yours more secure. Be sure to hear songs by Morton Downey tonight on NBC. There you have it, Lisa. That is a very famous Dragnet episode called The 22 Caliber Rifle for Christmas, starring Jack Webb. Christmas Story from December 22, 1949, and is heard on NBC. That's Dragnet. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. Well, Lisa, next week we're going to tune in to the Charlie McCarthy Show. We'll also hear of FBI and Peace and War, X-1 and The Whistler, and you're not going to be here next week. I'm not, but I'll miss you. All right. I'll and miss I'll you miss too, our Lisa. listeners, but guess what? I will be back the week That's after. That's right. Yeah, you'll be in Florida. Yes. Well, that's My what she does. My one-week-deserved vacation for the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Slacker. 
from my co-host Lisa Wolf, executive producer Mike Costella, national movie critic Sarah Adamson, Vince and Chris Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Amari, Adam West and me, Carl Amari. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Merry Christmas. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. Hollywood 360 with host Carl Amari is brought to you by Reader's Digest. To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at hollywood360radio.com. Adam West speaking. 